What are the secrets of those extraordinary individuals that have achieved extraordinary success? Listen to their stories, discover their knowledge bursts, make those connections. Get ready. It's time to start moving forward. John Lim here, and I'm honored today because we're moving forward with Dr. Deborah Gilboa, known to many of you as Dr. G. Dr. G is a physician, TEDx speaker, author, media entrepreneur, and frequent Today Show guest contributor. She is a wife and mom of four boys and provides incredible parenting and mentoring advice at her website, AskDrG.com. Hello, Dr. G. How are you today? Hi, I'm great, John. It's great to speak with you. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honor to have you on the show. You have such an interesting background and such an interesting story, which I only touched on on the intro. So I was wondering if you could share with our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself and share a little bit of your journey. Thank you. So I have a really unusual route, as I think a lot of entrepreneurs do. But mm-hmm. one of the things I found is that everything I've done has informed what I'm doing now. Mm. Um, Have you found that where you're surprised at all the different things that you experienced in the past and thought, oh, well, I'm going in a different direction now. And then you discover, oh, hey, they're really all a part of what I'm doing. Totally, totally. I mean, so I I went from lawyer to actor to working in corporate America, and I never thought I would see any connection between the different things. I just said I had career wanderlust. And it's finally now I'm starting to see all the different pieces come together. And I'm really grateful for it because there were reasons I was drawn to each of those fields. And so now to realize that I'm using bits of all of them is very satisfying. Yeah. I started right out of high school. I went to undergrad for theater uh, and I got my Bachelor of Fine Arts in drama. Oh, wow. And I was actually lucky enough to get work for the next six years in theater and some television and I got this amazing job at Second City Theater Company in Chicago. I was, you know, 10 years younger than the next youngest cast member. Wow. And I was loving it. And I was really at the top of that kind of career when I thought, you know, I could do this for five years, but the person I replaced had been there for over 20. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And I that really caused me some time to reflect. And I thought, well, what else would I like to do? And... I had been volunteering right after college as an emergency medical technician. And I thought, well, maybe I want to go into something having to do with medicine because I'm pretty fascinated by it. Called some friends who are paramedics and they all said, Deb, you're great, but you'd make a terrible paramedic because you're always trying to change the system. You should just go to med school. Mm. And I thought, I can't go to medical school. I'm old. So I called Northwestern's med school one day, just called the admissions office. I used the yellow pages back in the day. And (laughs) And I got this woman on the phone and I said, I'm thinking about applying to medical school. What do I need? And she said, a bachelor's. And I said, in what? Assuming she would say science, right? Biology, something. And she said, college. (laughs) I said, (laughs) totally have one of those. (laughs) So I did have to take a year's worth of courses. So I gave notice. I finished the season at Second City. I moved back to Pittsburgh, which is where I'd gone to undergrad in the first place. And I enrolled at a different university here at University of Pittsburgh, just to take biology, chemistry, Mm -hmm. physics, and an MCAT prep course. And at the same time, I picked up sign language because one of the theater companies I'd worked for was Deaf West Theater Company. And I learned some sign language and I thought, it's pretty cool. I like that. It's very cool. So here I am taking classes and I start working as a sign language interpreter to make ends meet and to get some more experience in the medical world. And I get into medical school and every one of those med school interviews, they all said to me, 
hey, we do a student show. Would you produce it? <laughs> That's great. I love it. <laughs> and I, of course, said, of course I would. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. Actually, four years later, I produced the senior show at University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. Oh, the I theater bug never school. left you then. Right. So I finished med school. I go to residency uh, as a family physician, which I really love, right? Mm. Family medicine is really for the Sesame Street generation, right. meaning every time I walk into the room, it's a brand new situation. It could be a two-day-old or a 90-year-old patient. I get to know four generations yeah. in some families, and I really love the work. And I'm giving some talks at that point at some conferences about better health care for deaf and hard of hearing patients because now I'm the only doctor in a 200-mile radius who signs. So I was bringing that work into my work as a doc. And then I got hired at a brand new federally qualified health center just two miles from where I lived. And they said, would you go out in the community and give talks about health so we can let people know we're here? And I said, sure. Because, you know, John, and you were an actor, so this might surprise you too. I was really surprised when I got to med school that people don't like to get up and speak in oh, front of absolutely. I, I found that even when I, got, when I went back to school for my MBA, I mean, public speaking was something that kind of came naturally to me just because of the acting more than anything else. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so I was surprised because, you know, I came from theater where people would throw their grandmother under a bus to speak in front of a group of people. Right. And here I am in a group of 150 and they keep saying, no, no, Deb, you get up and do it. <laughs> and, and so when I got into medicine as a physician and I spoke at conferences, I realized, you know, I, I really like this. And then when my new work asked me if I would go out in the community and give talks, I said, sure. And here I am in the community. I was pregnant, visibly pregnant with my third kiddo. And I would say, what do you guys want me to talk about at your church or community center or whatever? And they would often say... Um, you know, would you talk about parenting? Mm -hmm. I said, sure. And at the end of the talks that I give on parenting, someone would invariably come up and say, hey, this was useful. Do you have a book I could read or a website I could wow. look at? And I would have to say no. Eventually, oh I thought, this is, this is pretty cool. I really like this because yeah. a lot of what I do in the office as a family doctor is parenting help. Mm. One of the things that I've learned as a physician is that when parents are effective, kids get healthier. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had this, I had this seminal moment, uh, in the office, I was seeing a patient. Um, she was in her mid fifties. She was a patient I knew pretty well for a few years and she suffers from MS mm -hmm. and there are different types of MS, but the type of MS that she has is progressive MS, which means that unlike most people with MS who have a flare and then get somewhat better after the flare, progressive MS However bad it gets during your flare, that's where you stay. That's yeah. your new baseline. So it's really hard. Wow. She's at this point um, using a wheelchair and able to move her wheelchair by moving uh, a toggle by her chin. But everything from her shoulders down was pretty much not of use to her. And I walk into the room and I say, hey, Miss So-and-so, how are you today? And she says, wonderful. She said, my grandbaby turned one this weekend and he's getting to be so mm. big party and, and the flowers by my front door are coming out so nicely. And I'm going to the concert in the park on Friday evening. I'm really looking forward to it. And we continued our visit as we usually would. And I might not have noticed the difference, but it was only a few patients later that same morning when I walked in to see a different patient, same race, same so socioeconomic levels, about the same age. 
uh, whose only health problem on her chart is some occasional low back pain. Mm. And I said, I'm so-and-so, how are you today? And she said, terrible. And I said, tell me what's going on. Yeah. She says, nobody understands. You know, my family doesn't get this pain that I live with and how bad it can get. And I can't plan anything and they have no sympathy for me. And everybody just, they just don't understand me and what I'm going through. And I said, is your pain much worse? And she said, well, no, but it could be. Mm. And I continued with the visit and I helped her as best I could, but I couldn't help thinking, how do I get my kids to grow up behind door number one? Right, right. What's the difference to someone? Because, and research backs this up, it's not your diagnosis that makes the difference. Yeah, oh, interesting. They ask doctors to say what patient's quality of life is like based on what they have on paper. Doctors are always wrong compared to what the patients say their quality of life is like. Interesting. Very interesting. There's this this piece, this resilience piece. And here I am going into the community and giving these talks about parenting. And, you know, how do we get our kids to do their chores and listen and speak respectfully and, and go to bed when we need them to go to bed and eat healthy and not use too many screens? And I thought, you know, the bigger piece here is how do we teach kids to do things for themselves to the best of their ability at each age and be resilient when things don't go their way? Yeah. Yeah. And that is really my passion. I love it. I haven't given up on practicing clinically. I still work um, in the health center and I teach medical students, but my, that's what a friend of mine calls my, my, my retail work, my (laughs) one-on-one, but my wholesale work is that now I get to go on television and all around the country, actually around the world, and talk to parents and educators and coaches and nannies, and now also high school and college students themselves about what is it that will help them be more resilient so that they can reach their own goals. I love it. And Dr. G, I've got to ask you, I mean, did you ever imagine this is what your career path would look like? Not at all. I thought, you know, when you're in theater, as you probably know, you're, you're freelancing. So you're yeah. doing a job, but you're, you're applying or auditioning or you're trying constantly out constantly unemployed. <laughs> right. You're constantly flirting with unemployment. So I was used to that. But then I got into medicine and I thought, wow, this is so structured. People don't really change jobs very often. You go from med school to residency, maybe to fellowship, on to being an attending, and it's just the path is set. But it turns out that I am an entrepreneur at heart. And yeah. when I look back at every volunteer position I've ever taken, every place I've ever helped out, even my structured work, I'm always trying to think of a way to change the system, as my friend said to me. Yeah. And you know what I love about your story, Dr. G, is that all of the different experiences that you've had from acting to med school to being a public speaker, all of those things, you're seeing the connective thread. And that's really what defines you as an entrepreneur. And I just think that's so cool. And underlying that is the mission that you have to to really educate us on parenting and how to, you know, build a better world for the kids that we raise. And I think it's really interesting that you say that because one of the things that I've learned, and I do a lot of listening to entrepreneurial podcasts, and I go to conferences to also learn about being a business person, because that is something that medical school teaches you not at all, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and drama school as well, actually. Right. So, So one of the things that I've learned is I've had this experience where people will often say to me, well, where do you want to go in three years? Where do you want to take this in five years? And I was always stuck because to your point, I could never have pictured where I am now a year ago. Yeah. So how can I accurately picture what I want to be doing one or three years from now? And then I realized I was answering the wrong question. Instead of saying what I want to be doing, 
three or five years from now, I realized that I should figure out what's my goal. Uh, and my uh, goal is to change the conversation that we have in this country about what kids are capable of doing for themselves. I love it. And this is so important for moving forward listeners. I think it's a great way to look at your past experiences, look at it not in terms of what you want your job or career or business to be in a year or three years, but look at it in terms of goals. And I, and I absolutely love the way you've illustrated that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, this has been useful to me, especially because it gives me a litmus test to pass every opportunity through. And I don't just mean opportunities people bring to me. I mean, where I want to put my energy, if I decide to pursue something, I just have to ask myself, does it bring me closer to changing the national conversation about what kids are capable of doing? And then I can feel good about my yes or feel good about my no. Yeah. Yeah, because you're at the point now where I think if you're looking at opportunities, it, it should be a heck yes, right? I mean, you know, especially Absolutely. yeah, especially over this journey. I think that's so important. And I think moving forward listeners, I mean, are you driven by a yes or are you really driven by a heck yes? So I think I think that's really just your story really just hits that home. Well, Dr. G, as you know, I mean, this leads perfectly into my next question. As you know, part of the career and entrepreneurial journey, especially, is sometimes you're going to take some turns and you're going to try things, you're going to experiment. And I liken it to just being in the adult's playground, if you will. Sometimes you're going to get a skinned knee and you're going to have setbacks. You're going to even, I'll use the F word, there will be failures along the way. So I was wondering if you could share with our listeners a time where you feel like you failed or had a setback or things just completely fell apart. Oh, there have been a bunch, but you know, I I think that the most instructive time for me was when I'm an only child and I Uh, lived (laughs) 500 miles from my mom and she had a bad fall and she broke her pelvis Mm. and I needed to go and be with her. And I spent about the next six or eight weeks traveling back and forth between my home in Pennsylvania where she lived in Chicago, trying to, as a lot of people in the sandwich generation do, either be mom to my kids or daughter to my mom Mm -hmm. in a really active way. And my work as an entrepreneur, if there's a, if, if there's an Achilles heel, it's that I am the product. Mm. So my writing, my speaking, my media interviews, that's what I'm selling. And so I'm booking work four to six months in advance, and I am always networking and laying groundwork. I've gotten better over time at taking days off, but I discovered really quickly that I could not afford, I did not have the systems in place to be able to have weeks off. Ah, yes. Weeks where I was just just keeping things afloat rather than moving things actively forward. And in the you know, it was, it was six weeks from my mom's fall to her death. And then another easily four to six weeks before I felt like I came out of the fog and back to myself again and realized that those three months had probably set my business back a year. Wow. That's, uh, I mean, that is such, I mean, it's one of the things that we don't always prepare for as entrepreneurs. I mean, we'll think about, we always think about the roadmap in terms of the experiment, the the laboratory, and we don't always build in the systems for the unexpected, the things that happen in life. So what have you changed since then? What, what have you changed since going through that experience? So I've changed two things. I've automated some things. I hired a virtual assistant and she is worth her weight in gold to me, (laughs) uh, so that I would have someone who could do some of the keeping afloat 
and even some of the relationship building if something like this happens again. Um, And also that made me tons more efficient. Um, investing in her. And I worked with someone who, when I interviewed for that position, I would say to people, you know, looking at the structure of my business, what ideas do you have that would help me pay for you? And she had some great ideas about written online content that has helped me. Now I would say that pays for at least half of her a month. Oh, that's great. And has added, you know, maybe an hour of work to my month. Yeah. And so totally worth it. But the other thing that I did was realize that I needed some um, what a friend of mine calls while you're sleeping money, mm, yes. um, some things that are earning for my business, even if I am not actively paying attention to them and I'm still building those. I haven't gotten them to where I'd like them to be because although they are important, they never feel urgent. Yes. And so this conversation is a great reminder to me to relight some of that fire, but thinking about podcasts and, um, marketing e-courses and things like that, that you can do no matter what your business to think of a couple of things that can be earning money or awareness for your business when you're asleep. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, and actually I, this leads perfectly into my next question. So when did that light bulb go off? And I I specifically want to ask, when did Dr. G, I, it's such a wonderful brand. I mean, it works for, for being a a media personality for all the things that you're doing, or you could be a rap star too, I suppose. But uh, (laughs) when did, when, (laughs) when did that light bulb go off and Dr. G really, really came to the forefront? I, when, when people would ask me, do you have a book or a website? A book made sense to me, even though I didn't know how to get a book published for the lay press. I only knew how you get medical articles published Mm -hmm. in journals. And that wasn't what I was thinking of doing. Um, it was the book that I thought, Oh, okay. Yeah, I should write a book. So I started working on an outline for a book and I started asking everyone I knew at every event I was at, Hey, do you know anything about book publishing? And what I learned over time from reading online and talking to people is that you need a website, you need an online platform in order to get a book published. And okay. All right. So I went to uh, Carnegie Mellon university for my undergrad and I live near there. So I thought there are definitely some students there who for pizza money would probably be able to help me put together a very basic website put an ad in the paper at CMU. I got a couple of people who were happy to help me build a blog. And I started with a website so that I would have a platform so I could get a book published. Love it. Absolutely love it. The book proposal, I honed it. I had some sample chapters and I start sending this to as many people as I possibly can. And what I keep getting back is crickets. Mm. So I start to realize that, oh, well, okay, maybe my platform's not big enough. So I start to build the website and then I realize, well, the speaking section looks pretty thin. It's just community centers right around my neighborhood. So I call some friends who live in other cities and I, who are parents. And I say, Hey, could I come sleep on your couch and do a parenting talk for your parents group at your kid's school and your community Mm -hmm. for free? And they said, sure. So I stayed with a friend in Brooklyn. I stayed with a friend in San Francisco and I start building my website so that so that those speaking gigs look a little meatier. Right. And I start answering, and actually, uh, ask me about this a little later on in the interview, because I want to talk about how I got so much media attention. Absolutely. Anybody can do for free, and it's my best tip. But anyway, then I started to realize, as it's taking me longer and longer to get the book to come to fruition, that the book, the website isn't the means to an end. The online presence isn't the means to an end. The book is probably a means to an end. 
Yes. And I flipped it in my yeah. head and started to realize that having a book is really useful and helpful for getting bigger speaking engagements and for being taken more seriously. But it was just one brick in what I was trying to build. Yes. And then I started to put my focus where it belonged on creating this platform for my message and not for one book. And that turned things around for me. Oh, that's great. I love it. And and you've called back to something that I've mentioned before, uh, you know, when I've done speaking engagements, especially at the business school, that a book these days is the 21st century version of the business card. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I absolutely love it. And moving forward, listeners, it's what it's all about. And I, the other part of your story that I really, really want to emphasize to moving forward listeners, Dr. G, I mean, when you started, I mean, you, it sounds like you didn't know much about building a blog. But what I love what you did was that you went out, you you found those who uh, who had it in their wheelhouse and were able to give opportunities to, say, you know, kids or students who were building up their own careers and who love doing this. And you were able to network and leverage that to, to build up your website. One of the things that I know how to do well as a physician is delegate that which I'm not excellent at. Yeah, so important. And in that same way, I got a marketing intern about four months after I started. She taught me Twitter. <laughs> That's great. I'm Which just still learning Twitter. I mean, I've learned it, I think, over the past year. It is such a it's such an interesting platform. It is, and I love it. And now yeah. it's one of my most successful platforms. I've oh, got 60,000 followers, and it's something that draws organizations to work with me. But I got a 20-year-old marketing um, marketing student at one of the local universities. I actually called the university closest to me that has a marketing degree and said, I'm looking for an assistant, a paid intern. Could And this is not a virtual assistant I hired a year ago, but this was when I was first getting started. And I will tell you that within 12 hours, I had 15 CVs in my email inbox. Wow. <laughs> that's great. Absolutely. And it's such an important, I think that's such an important point you're illustrating is that there's so many people you can connect with. And I love that you've also emphasized the benefits of having a VA. That's, I, I think, at some point, and I've interviewed uh, many entrepreneurs who say there's a there's a point at which you kind of have to let go. I mean, you can't I mean, in the beginning, we all kind of want to do everything, you know, especially yes. if you're a type A. But there's a point in which there's an opportunity cost for you handling all the different things where you should be focusing your time more on the bigger picture on the revenue generating activities, whereas, you know, uh, other activities, if you can outsource them, if you can delegate them, find someone who can who can really do that for you. And, you know, Upwork, Fiverr, there's so many great places you can can go to to get great VAs. There absolutely are. And it took me a long time. I, I think that one of the things I discovered is that I'm not a simple person to work for. My VA tells will tell you that working for me is a little like trying to drink from a fire hose. <laughs> well, I mean, it stands to reason you've had a really interesting career journey and you're, you're doing something so unique. So I, I really appreciate that. It is a great, great illustration of how Dr. G has come to fruition and is continuing to build. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Well, Dr. G, are you ready for the Knowledge Burst session? Yes. Well, this is where our guests share three game-changing resources and tips that can help our listeners move forward. So I'm going to tweak it just slightly because I'm so excited to have you on the show. So I'm going to start off by asking, you have had incredible, incredible media uh, exposure. So share with our listeners 
a tip for increasing their media exposure, especially if they're getting started out uh, as an entrepreneur, they're in maybe in the online space. What's a tip that uh, will be very helpful for our listeners in 2017? I'm going to give you my best resource, John, and then I'm going to explain how I use it. Because even if your listeners have heard of it, they may find something useful in how I use it. This is helpareporter.com. Oh, okay. It's called Harrow, H-A-R-O, which I think is Help a Reporter Out, but the website is helpareporter.com. Okay. This is a phenomenal free opportunity for both journalists and sources, and I want your entrepreneurs to be sources, to, uh, to meet up. So what happens is you get on there, you say you're an expert. You don't have to say in what, you don't have to put your your credentials on the website. You just sign up for this free newsletter. And then three times a day, you're gonna get an email that has your field, could be finance, might Mm -hmm. be high tech, could be healthcare, could be lifestyle, whatever it is. And these are queries from journalists who want to quote someone in their piece. Oh, wow. Sometimes it says what the uh, outlet is and sometimes it doesn't, Mm -hmm. but you, but it doesn't give you that person's direct email. They use Harrow as a way, I think, of protecting themselves. The right. reporters do. So you read it, and I'll tell you one I just returned today. It said uh, the woman's name, and it was Red Book, the magazine. Oh, wow. It said, looking for parenting experts. Please send me your top two parenting tips to turn a parent from a good parent into a great parent, and then tell me how you'd like to be cited. Oh, that's fantastic. Absolutely and it gave fantastic. me a blind email address to answer. So I go into my email, I put in that blind email address, I say, hi, Ms. So-and-so, um, I, and I always make sure that the subject line um, teases my content. Because in the two or three hours after these go up, people get dozens or oh, even sure. responses. Yeah. So in a couple of ways, you have to set yourself out. And that subject line is one of the ways you're going to set it out. That's fantastic. And that is uh, you pretty much packed two knowledge bursts in that answer. <laughs> so you shared the resource and you shared a great tip on how to really, really send that email so it stands out. So that's a great one. Well, Dr. G, recommend, if you have one, a favorite app, website, or resource. And I count as resource. It can be anything from your calendar to a paper to-do list or a productivity practice that has been a real game changer for you? Okay, so for me, to-do lists are everything, and I need them to be digital, and I need them to be cross-platform, because if I think of something while I'm at my computer or on my phone, I need it to always sync up. So I'm not an Apple person, so I (laughs) use keep.google.com. Okay, keep.google.com. Yes, that's a great one. So I I just had a guest recently mention that one because she manages four businesses, has multiple to-do lists. And that was the first time I had actually heard of Google Keep. And the way I do it in particular is that each of my to-do lists isn't about a project. It's by day. So my to-do lists are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, (laughs) all the way through Sunday. And then what I like about, what I like about this platform is that I put something up and I know, for example, um, I have some grant applications that I have to read before I have uh, a review meeting about them next Wednesday evening. So I stuck that on next Tuesday's to-do list because that's the day I'm going to get to it. And then I'm doing a webinar for someone next Thursday. And that day, I definitely have to recheck all of my equipment. So I stuck that on my Thursday list. When I finish a day, 
even though there's, of course, things I didn't get to during that day, I can just cut and paste them to the next day when I'm going to try and get them done. Oh, that's great. So not only is it a to-do list, it really sets out, it blocks out the time for you. I mean, you're thinking three-dimensionally because you're adding the element of day and and making a priority. So that's a great, great hack for a to-do list. And so I'm excited to ask you this. As someone who does so much, I mean, there are times where we will sometimes hit a wall uh, and we just need to recharge our batteries or reboot. So how do you do that? So, you know, there's this idea, right? The the quadrants of there are things that are urgent and important, Mm -hmm. things that are important but not urgent, things that are urgent but not important, and then things that are neither (laughs) urgent nor important. (laughs) One of the things that I really try to do is give myself, and this is maybe a productivity hack, but I promise I'll answer your question. I know, absolutely. I love this. You're giving our our listeners like six or seven today. I absolutely (laughs) love this. Um, I really like getting through the stuff that's urgent, the stuff that will wake me in the middle of the night. Ah, that yeah. I've got to get rid of. Yeah. But then it's really valuable to take time off, even if it wasn't time I was expecting. If I recognize that I am just not productive, I'm sitting down, writing is the hardest thing for me for whatever reason. When I owe someone an article, um, that's the, the point where I will discover that, oh, maybe I should just clean the bathroom. <laughs> I'm the same so, way. I, I tend to find many different distractions when I have to sit down and write. So. Exactly. And so I, I'll do two things. One is, you know, as, as a hack, I'll try and break it up into smaller chunks. And that's sometimes that works. I like to cross things off on a to-do list. So rather than write that article, I'll write, you know, outline it, write the intro. But if I'm really not productive, rather than waste my time breaking my teeth on whatever it is I'm supposed to do, I will just say, I'm taking recess. Mm. I will take a half an hour or an hour to eat something because probably I haven't and read a book that I really enjoy or listen to a podcast that has nothing to do with work or watch an episode of something on Netflix. And then I'll take a breath and go back to it. I think that's great. And I think it's so important. I, I love those two suggestions for moving forward listeners. Sometimes it's easier if you break it up into digestible chunks and then take those breaks as you need them. I think that is so important. Great advice. All fantastic knowledge bursts. I mean, you really, I think you were giving a twofer for each one. So thank you so much, Dr. G. It's really a pleasure. Hey, Moving Forward listeners, you can find links to many of the books and resources mentioned by today's guest, along with offers to try out Audible and Amazon Prime. These are affiliate links for which I receive a small commission, which helps the podcast and is greatly appreciated. You can find these on the write-up for today's episode at bemovingforward.com. So, Dr. G, we're going to do a little time travel. Uh, So you ready to go back in time? Yes. So let's say we step into Dr. Brown's DeLorean from Back to the Future. We set it for about five, maybe 10 years ago. And we meet uh, Dr. G, maybe before she was Dr. G. So what is one lesson, tip, or piece of advice that you would give yourself that you wish you had known then? To pay attention in my work to what's under my control and what isn't. Mm. What I mean by that is invariably we enter into relationships with people in business, whether they're partnerships to run a business or client vendor relationships, whatever those are, to recognize I need a balance between some projects that are entirely under my control, like doing a podcast, for example, or setting up an e-course and things that depend on someone else deciding that they want to hire me. And at first I depended entirely upon other people deciding if my content 
was going to be useful to their audience instead of working hard to create an audience with whom I had a direct relationship and I could decide which content to um, to use. I, I think that's fantastic. And moving forward, listeners, rather than chase an audience or chase someone else's expectations, I think build your own audience. And you've heard Dr. G's story today on moving forward. I think that is an incredible, incredible lesson. How do you think your uh, past self would have reacted to that advice? Uh, I, I wonder if, if I'd have said, uh, that sounds hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least, at least you tried, right? And you, maybe you, you, maybe by doing so, you plant the seed. So I think that's the important. Absolutely. And and part of this, I think also part of that is understanding that the summation of your journey isn't uh, necessarily about going back and telling yourself something, but you look at your the entirety of everything you've done. And as we've talked about on this episode, and that, that really is the culmination of what Dr. G is today. Thank you very much. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> oh, definitely. Well, I'm excited to ask you. So, Dr. G, how can our listeners connect with you and learn more about the um, phenomenal work that you're doing today? The easiest place to find me is at my website, which is askdrg.com. Uh, and we will have that on the write-up. And I'm going to close by having you share with our listeners. And this is a new question that I'm trying out in 2017. I'm tweaking it a little bit. We started with two to three, but I'm going to up it to three to four. So using no more than three or four words, what parting wisdom would you like to pass on to our listeners? Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. It's like seven words. Let's see if it can be better. Um, <laughs> I would say careful with your yes. Oh, I love that one. That's a great one. Careful with your yes. Really great advice. Dr. G, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us today to share your story, your insights, and your knowledge bursts so that our listeners can be inspired to move forward. Thank you so much, Don, for your time. This has been a great conversation. Remember, Moving Forward listeners, once again, find the full write-up at bemovingforward.com. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Join us next Tuesday for another extraordinary guest. And remember, always be moving forward. Now it's time for you to move forward and unlock the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and Bali Solutions, LLC. All rights reserved.